welcome to European Pharmaceutical Reviews podcast. I'm the Deputy Editor, Victoria Rees, and I'll be your host. In this episode, we speak to Richard Daniel, Executive Vice President of European Commercial at Teva Pharmaceuticals. We discuss pharmaceutical supply chains with a specific spotlight on Europe and explore how COVID-19 has impacted these networks. Thanks for joining me today, Richard. Could you briefly introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, So I'm Richard Daniel, and I head up Teva's business in Europe across our innovative, generic and OTC medicines. My background is in science, so I'm a chemist by training, analytical and organic, and uh, I've been with Teva for for quite a number of years. So we're going to be talking about pharmaceutical supply chains and the challenges that they're facing at the moment, but could you just begin by explaining the importance of a stable pharmaceutical supply chain? Sure, Uh, but look, perhaps it's worth just starting with uh, reminding everyone what a a supply chain is, because we often take for granted that we all understand that because it's an ecosystem of processes, you know, people, activities, uh, information and uh, resources all involved in getting a medicine uh, ultimately to uh, to a patient or possibly to a pharmacist first or indeed to, to a hospital. And the system, that chain can cover many countries, many uh, systems, if you like, many people and processes uh, with often thousands of checks and balances um, you know, throughout it. And the stability of that system you know, across uh, different locations of the world is vital because reliable, uh, sustainable access to medicines sits absolutely the heart of a, of a healthy um, uh, Europe. You know, every patient needs to be confident that when they need their medicine, it's going to be there um, for them. Uh, and that indeed what they have in their medicines cabinet is also of the absolute highest quality. Definitely. So you have quite an oversight of European pharmaceutical supply chains. Would you be able to give a brief description of the current supply chain in Europe? For example, where APIs come from or where manufacturers are based? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, And I'm really uh, pleased to explain this because I think it's something that we all need to be more familiar with um, from patients themselves through to everyone that's involved uh, in the industry and all of our stakeholders. Because uh, it was a real insight for me that uh, often policymakers don't really understand how the pharmaceutical supply chain um, works. So we we do need to know where and how medicines have ma- are made, because after all, this really affects uh, health as well as jobs, investment, and innovation um, in Europe. You know, overall, our industry is something uh, we can be and should be very, very uh, proud of. And of course, um, you know. <laughs> It's no time like now do we understand that we really need a strong economic powerhouses uh, across Europe as we come out of the, uh, the, the you know, the current uh, crisis. So a little bit of background. Um, I'll use Teva as a bit of an example, but, you know, we're part of a global manufacturing operation. Uh, now, we do manufacture nearly all of our products destined for Europe um, in Europe and now we're, we're quite proud of that. But the active pharmaceutical ingredients or APIs uh, can often come from all over the world. And today, India and China uh, dominate where those APIs uh, come from. Now, we'll always be a global ecosystem. And that's, uh, and that's not a bad thing uh, at, at all. You know, diversity is, uh, uh, and everything is great. But for a variety of reasons, Europe's become a little too reliant on a too few countries and locations to supply these critical active pharmaceutical uh, ingredients. In some cases, also finished dosed uh, essential generic medicines uh, as well. 
I mean, you know, we don't often think too much about, uh, you know, good old paracetamol, uh, but at the start of the pandemic, uh, it really highlighted uh, the importance of even such a simple product when some countries shut their borders and we were finding it difficult to be able to import paracetamol, active pharmaceutical ingredient into Europe to be able to manufacture and turn that into uh, into tablets. I mean, we managed to, with a number of urgent uh, conversations at very, very high levels. We managed to fix the problem, but it shouldn't have really uh, happened in the first place. And as I said, you know, having uh, having a global supply chain uh, is no bad thing. You know, diversity, lots of different manufacturing sites are very, very good thing. Uh, you know, my concern is that we are finding ourselves in a situation where it's becoming a little over concentrated, though. So obviously, the current situation has highlighted the issues that can arise from having a global pharmaceutical supply chain. However, on the other hand, relying too heavily on a domestic supply chain wouldn't work for a lot of countries. Bearing that in mind, what would you say is the ideal situation at the moment? Yeah, so look, the key thing is is to, is to have balance and to you know avoid uh, being over-concentrated in any one particular area. And we are seeing some real challenges that are facing the uh, European um, supply chains. And you know, in my opinion, largely that's down to years of unsustainable uh, policies, leaving these uh, critical lines of supply open to uh, exposure in situations like we're in now. And perhaps next time we have such a black swan event, we won't be able to cope anywhere near as well uh, as we did. Because look, despite uh, the crisis that we've been through, you know, largely there's, there's been no uh, chronic shortages of medicines in Europe, even for those medicines where we saw very, very significant increases uh, in demand. You know, understandably, for example, in the intensive care unit. Uh, medicines. So it's really, really vital that we address the economic and regulatory shortcomings to secure a more balanced geographic manufacturing and diverse supply footprint, as I said, to really reduce the risk of shortages in the future or delays in the manufacturing of, uh, of, um, of crucial medicines. As I, said, as I said, for years we've had policies that make some parts of the industry uh, unsustainable. So for the generics business, you know, very, very aggressive tender mechanisms that look at cost as the only criteria, not resilience of your supply chain or even or even um, uh, environmental uh, factors. That has led to fewer and fewer manufacturers, fewer and fewer factories in fewer and fewer places. And what that means is that if you have any sort of um, failure in one of uh, you know, those fewer and fewer factories, uh, or borders are closed um, for whatever reason, then you have a much bigger problem than if you had a, a better, uh, you know, supply chain uh, diversity and geographical um, uh, coverage. And indeed, during the pandemic, we did uh, see these sort of new challenges, at least for us, of medicines uh, national, nationalism, with some countries placing restrictions on on exports. And, you know, that greatly endangers supply. And ultimately, it, it's patients who then suffer or are put at risk. And so, uh, you know, unity on this topic is really, um, really uh, vital. In addition, our experience with um, with po policymakers or regulators in, in Europe has been that sometimes the EU is extremely slow to implement digital uh, projects in the pharmaceutical space. So I touched on the economic uh, drivers before, but there are also regulatory uh, drivers uh, as well that uh, we we could uh, find ways of sharing information between um, uh, regulators and industry 
much much better coordinating uh, information sharing through the through the pandemic uh, we had challenges in getting good quality information so industry could help I mean lessons have been learned and we're in discussion with the with the with the EU but there's much more that we could do um, with this uh, you know, going forward as I said we, all, we we absolutely need a global footprint uh, but we need to make sure that we don't continue to see this progressive shift away from Europe uh, that has been that has been happening over the past uh, few years. Sure. You touched there upon the last year and obviously COVID-19. So what kind of challenges has that really presented and how has it impacted the European pharmaceutical industry? Yeah, so look, overall, Europe's supply chains remained, pharmaceutical supply chains remained uh, largely resilient to the really volatile uh, conditions that we saw last year and and that are continuing uh, this year so far, of course, despite the spikes in demand uh, that we saw for treating uh, COVID patients uh, on ventilators uh, and in intensive uh, care units. Actually, it's a real testament to the incredible folk working in the pharma industry at uh, production facilities and all through our uh, all through our distribution. Uh, network so they turned up you know, every single day to make sure that we could keep uh, medicines uh, moving of course there's also been a huge effort to scale up supply of vaccines and a number uh, of examples actually in the, just the past couple of weeks where we've seen um, cross-industry collaboration to share capacity for vaccine manufacturer manufacture and fulfill and finish and I'm sure that'll absolutely uh, continue uh, as well so the levels of effort innovation determination to keep uh, all of our medicines flowing has been uh, phenomenal. But I am, uh, as I said, concerned about the robustness of these supply chains if we don't address the drivers that are concentrating manufacture in too uh, few locations um, globally. And we need to work with the policymakers, governments, with regulators, uh, with payers to address poor procurement systems such as unsustainable uh, tendering mechanisms and look at modernizing regulatory systems. So ensuring that uh, Europe's manufacturers can remain competitive uh, and we have a strong strategic uh, manufacturing uh, network here as part of a you know global supply chain uh, strategy. Now interesting enough though you know COVID created another uh, very pressing um, uh, issue and that is a problem of uh, healthcare provision and access to healthcare professionals for non-COVID patients uh, through this uh, through this crisis. So we know that many millions of doctor-patient interactions uh, have been missed, and that is a big problem for the management of ongoing chronic conditions as well as the diagnosis and treatment of acute or new health issues. So it's not a supply chain issue on farmer side uh, per se at all, but it is something that governments really need to pay attention to and to try and improve the situation as soon as um, possible, ensuring that all patients, not just COVID patients, uh, that their healthcare delivery can return as the impact on, on all of those patients uh, is potentially you know, very, very uh, profound now and in the future. Mm. So just thinking now about the impact on patients who suffer from diseases other than COVID-19, what's the impact on the distribution of medicines for other diseases? Because there's been such a focus on COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics. Has that impacted or influenced the pharmaceutical supply chain in any way? Uh, no, so I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think there's been great uh, collaboration around trying to free up additional capacity, even be, you know, between different companies to be able to share capacity, to be able to step up production of vaccines. You know, the production of vaccines is a, 
is a reasonably specialized uh, activity. So largely it, it hasn't and won't touch on the supply chains for you know many, many other medicines. But it is really, really important given the situation that we're in that we can obviously produce uh, as many vaccines as quickly as possible and get them uh, to Europe and indeed all over uh, the world because uh, you know this pandemic is not over uh, properly until um, everybody has been vaccinated. You know, really, no one is safe until everybody is uh, everybody is safe. Uh, but largely, I think that collaboration is going well, um, and 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 I'm sure that that will continue. Well, that's definitely good news to hear. But uh, moving away from COVID-19 and speaking more generally now, if there are issues in a supply chain, what kind of consequences can arise from that? Yeah, so look, if there's significant issues in pharmaceutical supply chains, then patients can't be sure that they get their medicines when they need them. And that's a fundamental failure that just simply has got to be um, uh, avoided. During the first wave uh, of COVID last year, it became apparent that the EU had no good mechanism at the top level, at the EU level, providing for the monitoring of medicines availability across Europe and had no two-way fast-track communication channel between regulators and manufacturers to address potential shortages. I, I noted before the uh, big up tick in the in the need for intensive care unit medicines but data to manufacturers was very very slow to come so we need to make sure that um, ideally there's a systemic harmonized pan-european monitoring system and two-way communication with the industry we need them in place to be able to best manage the market dynamics and foresee any issues that can then be fixed i do hope that the structured dialogue process referred to in the European Commission's pharmaceutical strategy can can really help to address this. So how do you think regulators can really work to mitigate any medicine shortages or supply chain issues? Yeah, so the, this European Commission's pharma, pharma strategy for Europe is a very welcome addition to, uh, to this debate. So for the first time, a European strategy recognises the complexity uh, and the value of securing the entire supply chain for medicines from production the whole way through to distribution uh, for patients. And so I think there's at least two um, key points which can uh, which do harm the investment and production of medicines in Europe, which we need to fix and avoid in the future. So firstly, for too long, we've had a rather old school approach to regulation and a rigid framework in Europe, and it needs uh, modernization in terms of communication, in terms of regulatory process, in terms of uh, approach to uh, to digitalization, uh, digital information, digital leaflets, uh, digital products and medicines. And also we need to come back to resolving these unsustainable market conditions, which have really created a uh, race to the bottom. Uh, and this has the effect of not only concentrating suppliers into fewer manufacturers, but also into less locations and generally outside of Europe. And so public procurement mechanisms such as, uh, I don't know, the German tender approach for generics are perfect examples of this that really need to have a close look um, taken at them. So again, I really welcome the high-level forum, stakeholder structured dialogue on manufacturing and security of supply for policymakers to be able to gain a better understanding of the functioning of uh, global pharmaceutical supply chains. Uh, that hopefully gives us the opportunity to be able to talk to each other, the industry to be able to talk to uh, regulators 
uh, and uh, politicians and other stakeholders and hopefully for us to be listened to. Mm -hmm. What about then companies? What can they do to ensure a more robust supply chain as well? Yes, we've absolutely got our part um, to play and tackling and preventing shortages or any interruptions in, in supply chains. So therefore, you know, ensuring the security of them is a real priority um, for us at Teva and for the whole uh, industry. And I think there's three main areas that we can address with this. First of all, we need to continue to invest in best practices and in production, innovation, and the capacity of uh, our, our manufacturing sites with with continuing to invest in uh, ever improved quality systems and processes throughout our whole uh, supply chain. To give you a you know, taste of it, we at Tevra are investing in 500 million euros in a, a new biologics production plant uh, in Ulm, in Germany, state of the art, making sure that we're in, you know, increasing capacity for uh, biologics for European patients uh, in the future. We also need to make sure that the training and development of our people um, is at the highest level with best practice, procedures, uh, and uh, and protocols. And then if there are ever any problems, we need to make sure uh, we're also open and transparent and we communicate issues uh, clearly uh, as early as we possibly can in advance and main co maintain right contacts uh, with uh, regulators, with other stakeholders to better understand, detect, you know, and act against uh, shortages. So there is a lot we can be doing as well. Definitely, thank you. So lastly, I just wanted to ask you, in light of COVID-19, and as you mentioned earlier about modernization, how do you think the European pharmaceutical supply chain will evolve in the future? Yeah, so look, uh, personal opinion, but I think the most critical evolutions we'll see in the uh, supply chain of the future are uh, 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 involving more use of data and artificial intelligence. Uh, an increase in transparency and information uh, sharing, uh, new innovation around how to manufacture, what to manufacture, and then lastly, but super importantly, sustainability. So the use of data and AI will give the entire manufacturing sector uh, the ability to improve accuracy and eliminate errors and will uh, then help transparency across the supply chain. So allowing us, I hope, to be able to share better information with distributors and healthcare systems about where medicines are in our supply chains. We see this in, in, in other industries, and I think that's one area certainly that pharma could learn from other industries such as food or maybe even automotive um, uh, manufacturing. Of course, as we will continue to add new technologies as we develop uh, new products. You know, who could have imagined 20 years ago that the, that the uh, use of manufactured humanized monoclonal antibodies would become commonplace in medicine, that we would be able to even you know, figure out the way to be able to uh, you know, make uh, such, a, for want of a better word, high-tech um, medicines. And more of that will, will absolutely come. Innovation is, after all, the absolute lifeblood of our uh, of our industry as we as we seek to be able to um, you know meet patients unmet needs and uh, and ever make better treatments and then as I said one of the other critical elements and it's one of the biggest challenges we all face today is reducing our impact on the planet uh, as with any other industry sustainability is really anchored at the uh, heart of our corporate strategy. Uh, as we look to uh, renewable sources of energy and to minimize the waste and any um, byproducts that are created. And we've actually just in the past month or so set ourselves a new set of, of challenging uh, environmentally 
focused uh, objectives on uh, on you know, reducing energy uh, or reducing greenhouse gases, energy uh, efficiency, total water uh, use um, uh, reduction you know, over the next uh, over the next few years. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Richard. Thanks, Victoria. It was a, it was really really nice to talk to you today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, but please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit europeanpharmaceuticalreview.com to become a member and receive lots of exclusive content. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for our next podcast coming soon.